John Knox was a minister and a prayer warrior from the 1500s. Most famously, Queen Mary said, I fear his prayers more than I do the armies of my enemies. He started the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. When he knew that he was dying, he said this to his wife, read me the scripture where I first cast my anchor. The scripture was John chapter 17. And Jesus says this, it's his prayer for us as well as the disciples 2,000 years ago. Father, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That the world will know you sent me, and notice this, and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays that people would know he was sent. Amazingly, that we would know he loves you, he loves me. The Father's love is the same love for Jesus. Probably hard to even grasp, maybe impossible to grasp, to say that the Father loves you and me as much as he loves Jesus. But Jesus' prayer is that we would understand that. And as we go through this time of Lent and Easter, that could simply be something we ask deeper. Lord, show me, help me to understand more fully that you love me the same as you love Jesus, the one who you sent unto the world. So with that love, let it compel us to bring that light and promise and love into the lives of others. So let's look at Philip in Acts chapter 8 as an example of somebody who's going to be compelled by the love of Christ. And he's going to talk to somebody who does not know who Jesus is. And that's our call as well. And if you go to Acts chapter 8, let's look at Philip. Philip is an evangelist. He's not one of the apostles, but he's an evangelist. And we're told this, Acts chapter 8, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise, go toward the south, along to Jerusalem. And then he notes, this is desert. Those three words Luke writes are not for geography as something to just take as an intellectual study. He's making a spiritual application. Philip is going where? To the desert. What's he going to find in the desert? He's going to meet a man who does not know who Jesus is. What is the desert? It represents spiritual dryness. It represents thirst. It represents barrenness. And we all find ourselves in that desert sometimes, but we're told that Jesus meets us in that desert. And we're told to then be ones willing to go to the desert like Philip to bring that living water to a thirsty soul. So let's talk about the desert here for just a moment. As we talked at different times, there are places in Europe, church attendance now down to 5%. As stunning as that is, some things still boggle the mind, even in a culture like that that has become so secular. This was in the news a few days ago. These are stormtroopers, characters from Star Wars. Now on a scale for budget as far as profit... Star Wars in the U.S., number two, most profitable movie. Number one, Gone with the Wind. Number three, The Sound of Music. Worldwide, number one is Avatar. Number two, Titanic. Number three is Star Wars. So it's number two here, and it's number three worldwide. And so somebody thought an artistic expression that they wanted to portray in a church was to use stormtroopers to portray the passion of Christ. What's even stranger is they thought, it odd people found this offensive so they had to move the displays even a stormtrooper who was on the cross that is desert that is spiritual bankruptcy that is barrenness 
That is a place of weariness and dryness where people need the gospel light to show the truth and the way and the life. This is the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, built there by the religion of Islam by Muslims many centuries ago. It's there close to where Solomon's temple was. What do you think is inscribed on the side of the Dome of the Rock? Over a billion Muslims, and here is one of their main sites they revere, the Dome of the Rock. Written on the side of the Dome of the Rock, God has no son. God has no son. Well, the main drives of Islam is to convince the world Jesus was just a man. Certainly nothing could be further from the truth. But that's what happens in the desert. Truth gets lost. And barrenness leads people thirsty, confused. And we need to be like Philip and say, let me enter into the desert. It may just be the desert of brokenness in somebody's life. But they need that living water, and we need to be the ones to say, you know what? Jesus has the same love for you, and the Father has the love for you that he has for the Son, and here is living water. Philip is about to meet a man that is in that desert that does not know Jesus. We're going to see what he has to say. This is Alexander Solnitsyn. He was in the Gulag in Russia for 11 years for criticizing Stalin. When he got out... He wrote books to expose the torture taking place, and the world then was aware of persecution they had not known about. He changed people's lives. His books have impacted millions of people. When he was released from the gulag, people wanted to know. Eleven years in torture, what did he learn about life? He became very deep spiritually. He went to Harvard, which used to be a theological seminary, and gave a speech in 1978 known as a world split apart. This was a graduation speech. He did not say what people were hoping he would say. In fact, during the speech, he was booed because he told people, he said, you've lost your spiritual courage. You don't stand up for the truth. He went to say that you have spiritual sickness. You're so wrapped up in your self-centeredness. He said there's no life in that. He said you need to learn to lay your life down for another. And people booed because they, they didn't like the challenges, challenges that he made to them that day. But we have to be careful in our own lives to say, Lord, give me spiritual courage. Give me that courage to enter into the desert. Relieve me of that sense of self-centered spiritual sickness that is only driven by the things that I want and let me instead decrease that you might increase in me. If you go back to Acts chapter 8, we're told when Philip was directed by the angel, Philip arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, and notice the words here, a eunuch of great authority under the queen who had charge of all her treasury. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah. So this man has great authority. And he is in charge of all the treasury of the queen. But he's in the desert. He has all the outward trappings, power and wealth. But he's spiritually dry. And he's reading the book of Isaiah. Specifically, he's reading Isaiah 53. Now he's not reading, of course, a chapter, he had a scroll, but he's at what we call Isaiah 53. 
Isaiah 53, 600 years B.C., Isaiah wrote about the crucifixion. Now, crucifixion had not been invented yet. Isaiah had a revelation of what was to come. And so 600 years B.C., Isaiah writes about the trial and the beating and Christ dying on our behalf for our sin and our sickness and that we might be set free. And I challenge each of us to spend some time in Isaiah 53. And if you find somebody in the desert, a great place to lead them is to say, I I challenge you to read Isaiah 53 and let it speak into your heart and just spend some time there. Because again, 600 years before Christ would lay down his life, Isaiah portrays everything that's going to happen from that trial and to the beatings and to his death and then to him rising again. You know, Billy Graham made well-known the story about the statue of Christ in Strasbourg, Germany, that had been damaged in World War II. Now, other churches in different places have taken note of this and have used it as a model for similar situations. So you might see signs like this at different churches. But what happened in Strasbourg is the statue of Jesus was damaged. And mainly the damage was it broke the hands of the statue. And so they talked about repairing the statue, but at this church they decided, let's leave the statue without hands to remind us that Jesus has given his work to us, that we are his hands and his feet. It's a beautiful picture, but let it again be something compelling us to say, you know what, I am to be the hands and feet of Christ. I am to be the one who enters into that desert, bringing the truth of that gospel light. Great place to start, Isaiah 53, and simply share that with somebody. You know, Rodney Gypsy Smith had a ministry from 1860 into the 1900s. It spanned 70 years. And he was asked, he was an evangelist in the U.S. and in Britain, and he was asked, what needs to happen for revival, for a spiritual turnaround in our countries? And he said this, go home, Lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, draw a chalk mark all around yourself and ask God to start revival inside that chalk mark. When he's answered your prayer, revival will be on. Again, Lenten season, Easter, it's a time to stop and say, you know what, Father, let me understand the same love you have for Jesus, you have that love for me. And enter into my desert place, Father, and let revival begin with me. And let me then go out and find those trapped in the desert and bring your truth and your light unto them. Which brings us back to Acts chapter 8. We're told the Spirit said to Philip, go near the chariot. So Philip ran up to him and said, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Such a simple act. You're going to see that it changes everything. A man is reading Isaiah. He doesn't understand. He says, can you just sit here and explain to me what this means? And Philip says, absolutely. He simply sits down with him. Let's go back to the gulag with Alexander Solnetsin. Because he's about to have his life changed inside the gulag by a simple act as well. This is written by Daryl Klazen. Again, Alexander was in the gulag 11 years tortured. He had criticized Stalin. 
And when he got out, he wrote books that have touched millions of lives. But while he's inside the gulag, he's about to lose his faith. And Daryl Kleisen writes this, Alexander was a prisoner in Russia. He was on a program of hard labor and slow starvation. One day he felt like giving up. He felt his life could not make a difference. He sat down on a bench knowing if he was spotted by a guard, he would be ordered back to work or bludgeoned to death. He sat waiting, head down, and he felt a presence. Slowly, he lifted his eyes. Next to him sat an old man with a wrinkled face. Hunched over, the old man drew a stick through the sand, deliberately tracing out the sign of the cross. As Solnitsyn stared at the rough outline, his entire perspective shifted. In that moment, he knew the hope of all mankind was represented by that simple cross. And through his power, anything was possible. Solnitsyn slowly got up, picked up his shovel, went back to work, not knowing his writings on truth and freedom would one day inflame the world. Simple act to simply sit down with somebody. Let me tell you what Jesus means to me. Or let me just show you Isaiah 53. Let me help you to understand by God's grace, the Father loves you like he loves Jesus. And most importantly, he meets us there in that desert place. Finishing up with Acts chapter 8, 34 and 35, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, who does this prophet speak of? Of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. That's all that matters. Again, Lenten season, Easter season, they're not simply a time that's a, a part of our calendar or tradition. It's a time to say, you know what, of whom do we speak? And then to begin to share Jesus. Philip opened his mouth and beginning here, he preached Jesus to him. That's the answer, the only answer out of the desert. People can be in the desert for years. Maybe you're in the desert now. And the way out is in Christ who lifts us out of that dryness and gives us that living water and tells us and prays for us that we might understand just a fraction of the love of God and the grace from which we can be freed of all sin. So let me close with something that John Ortberg wrote about a gentleman that a lot of people knew and still know and a personal friend of John Ertberg's himself. John writes this. When my friend Kim was a young girl, her dad pulled the car off the road one day to help a woman change a flat tire. While he was lying under her car, another vehicle accidentally swerved to the shoulder, and in the collision, the car was shoved onto his chest. His right thumb was torn off at the joint, five ribs broken, his left lung pierced, began to fill with blood. His wife, barely five foot tall, placed her hands on the bumper of the car and prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and lifted the car off his chest so he could be dragged out. Kim's father was in a state of shock. He was taken to the hospital. Doctors prepared him for emergency surgery. His thumb won't do him any good if he's dead, one of them said. His survival was iffy. Suddenly, spontaneously, the man's skin changed from ashen to pink. 
he experienced a miraculous healing. He invited a surprise surgical team to join him in singing, Fairest Lord Jesus. They did not even bother to hook him up to oxygen. He did not find out until later, this was the precise moment his father-in-law, who was a pastor, had his congregation to pray for him. Sometimes these stories come from not very credible sources, such as a magazine and a grocery checkout line. In this case, however, the subject was James Loder, a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. His life was not only saved, but changed. Until then, although he taught at seminary, God had been mostly an abstract idea to him. And now Jesus became a living presence. Kim writes, her father's heart grew so tender he became known at Princeton as the weeping professor. He began to live from one moment to the next in a God-bathed, God-soaked, God-intoxicated world. Acts chapter 8. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Perhaps you're in the desert. Perhaps you know somebody in the desert. Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. The promise. Greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. Let us pray.